Well, if you've tackled the Otago Rail Trail or have been through the many a Toto, you've probably been familiar with the store in Oturahua that doubles as a museum. It was founded by Thomas Gilchrist in 1902. It had its height offered groceries and baked goods, farm supplies, fuel pumps and accommodation. While the store was run by three generations of the family, it's twice come close to closure, with the community stepping in to buy the building and all its memorabilia. The store's current owner, John Hellier, has teamed up with local historian Judy Beck and writer and editor Paula Wagemaker to dig into the store's history and its importance to the local community. The result is Thomas Gilchrist and Sons Limited of the Mania Toto, an extremely detailed book, also with illustrations. Well, to tell us more about the store and how it's outlived the railway and seen a regeneration because of the rail trail, Paula Wagemaker's with us now. Good morning, Paula. Good morning, Catherine. Gosh, a lot of work has gone into this. Uh, And the book actually begins with the acknowledgement that before you went any further, you needed to confirm that it actually was the oldest general store. How did you go about that? Well, we couldn't be uh, 100% sure of this at the time, but our research persuaded us that no other general store in New Zealand than Gilchrist has traded in the same way for the longest time on the same site under the same name. So the store was built in 1899 by a man named James Caldwell. He sold at Thomas Gilchrist in 1902. And when Thomas started, he established separate account books for each customer, whether an individual or a family. Descendants of some of those people still live in the Maniatoto, and the goods they buy from the store today are recorded in those same surname books, all still headed up with the words Thomas Gilchrist and Sons Limited. So those books were just one way where you traced the store's direct line longevity. However, this morning, uh, what did I find on a news site? Uh, a story about Payne and Corshaw's general store in Martinborough, which has a 150-year history. <laughs> but then, I mean, if, if you make a claim, you're going to get cut off at the knees, right? <laughs> All right, it's one of the oldest general stores. <laughs> uh, what a wonderful story. Um, but again, the amount of research that's gone into this, it's evidenced by the detail and by the book. And, and just tell us, just introduce us to the three of you. I know you're, uh, you're fronting for the team, but Judy Beck, John Hellier, who's the current store owner, um, what was the prompt for saying, OK, let's make this happen? Well, there were several reasons. Um, The first was that we wanted to inform people, especially the many visitors to the store, including people during the Otago Central Rail Trail, about its history and the Gilchrist family, because the store looks exactly like it was both outside and inside. Uh, It was when it was first founded, other than it doesn't have quite as much stock in it. Uh, People are intrigued about it and want to know their history. So John's wife, Helen, um, suggested a book might be an easier way of telling them about it. Um, I have to say ha-ha to that. I'm not sure if it was easier, but it was more interesting. Um, We also wanted to honour the Gilchrist family who owned and ran the store for eight decades and also the communities the store serves and their two-time efforts to keep the store open after the Gilchrists left. Um, We wanted also to document a way of shopping that has all but disappeared from the retail landscape, uh, essentially doing a social history. So all the details about how the store operated across time, everything from how customer orders were filled and dispatched to their homes, what assistants were paid, to how food was kept fresh in pre-refrigeration days on hot Maniatoto summers, and what paper was used to wrap up 
customers' parcels. And finally, we just wanted to bring attention to the uh, store's heritage status and value and to maintain its upkeep and ongoing longevity because all proceeds from the book go to upkeep of the building and its memorabilia. Tell us a little more about the current community there and uh, has it changed much? Has it become uh, more populated um, at all? Paula, just uh, for, for those you know, not familiar with this part of the country, introduce us a little bit to the community, who they are and what their, um, you know, what, what their business is. Well, of course, primarily for a long time, uh, it's been a rural farming community and it still is, but like a lot of regional areas in the country, um, people have discovered it and have moved in. So we have a sort of rather interesting coterie here of people who are writers and artists. There are seven of us all living on the same road who are published authors in a village of about 60 people. I could uh, knock off a few. There'd be Gillian Sullivan. There'd be Brian Turner. Keep going, Paula. Um, well, Judy Beck, uh, right. Dougal Rilston, uh, Bridget Orkmitty, Jenny Beck. I think of them. <laughs> There'll uh, be another one by tomorrow. Uh, and probably. So, uh, a stunning landscape, of course. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's a place that people have discovered, some have retired to, some have moved to for lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, but still a lot of farming going on. And, uh, and, and by means of service towns, because here we are with the role of a store where there's not a big service town, right? A store that's got to be everything to everybody. Yes, which is what it's always been, and in a way it still is. I mean, of course, people can shop far more easily in other destinations. Now, the other ne- the nearest bigger place is Alexandra or Ranfurly, both of which have supermarkets, but Gilchrist still provides a store-to-door grocery and mail delivery service. So that's very important in that respect. That longevity is um, extraordinary. And at, at the time it was first set up in 1902, did things look any different? Like where were we at with the whole gold rush era and, and what was happening at the time the original owner set up? Well, it was well past the gold rush era uh, and firmly becoming established as a farming community, but it was also the age when the railway started pushing through. And that's one of the main reasons why Thomas Gilchrist set up in Aturehu uh, and the Ida Valley because the next terminus of the railway coming up from Dunedin was going to be a Tirihua, and he always said that if you want to make money, you've got to go where people have money, and he decided that was going to be Roughridge, as was the original name of a Tirihua. Um, That was where people were going to have money because of the busyness of the railway, and there were also other excavation schemes going on, Uh, There was still mining in the vicinity. So there were quite a lot of people around and he just saw this as as a good opportunity and then he made it work for himself and his family. Over the years... um what happened with with uh, with ownership? Because as we've pointed out, a lot of these stores come and go, and sometimes you've got the physical structure left, but now it's selling something else, or it's a pub, or it's a this or that. Uh, at what point did um, at what point did the future of the store, as run by Thomas Gilchrist, begin to become questionable? Probably in the late seventies and early nineteen eighties which started to see the demise of a lot of general stores in rural areas um, because of things like the rise of of supermarkets. Uh, 
better roading. Uh, people could travel more easily. More rural people had cars. Um, demise of uh, railways started to be um, ended. Um, oh, there's a whole plethora of yeah. of reasons, but de- depopulation was probably a big one associated with all of that when when the railway went, all these little communities began to lose things like their post offices, their schools, all those other little facets of of life. And that meant people left the area. So it was a vicious cycle, really. And was it still in the family by then? Because it went through two or three generations, didn't it? Yeah, it went down three generations. Uh, So the Gilchrists finally decided when it came to the fourth generation that the store would not generate enough income for the next generation. So in uh, 1989 is when they decided to sell. And what happened? Well, they couldn't initially get a sale, so um, the community decided to help broker a sale. There was a young couple who were interested in buying the store, but they couldn't quite meet the uh, price of it, and the community owned considered they owned a big debt uh, to the Gilchrist family, especially as Thomas had carried a lot of people through the Great Depression. Um, he had let them build up huge accounts um, and sometimes even didn't expect them to pay at all um, just so that they would be able to put food on the table. And the community was determined that they wanted the Gil- that generation of Gilchrist to retire with dignity. So they managed to broker arrangement whereby um, the the community bought into the store on a trust mechanism, and that eventually led to the community owning the store and the memorabilia and independent people running uh, the store business and its associated mail runs, and that mechanism has continued to the present. But in doing that, people had to dig, local communities had to dig very deeply into financial pockets at, at a pretty difficult uh, financial time, around about when interest rates went up to 24%. Yes. Yeah. Look, so, um, it, it, look, it's amazing, but let's talk, at what that, talk about what that has preserved because the memorabilia you're talking about, um, mm-hmm. uh, there's this great detail in the book about all the things the store would have sold back in the day, including what you need for curling, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Um, Ice sports are, are a big thing around here, and actually if you're looking through the book, you'll think probably it's never anything but cold down here, which is not true, of course, because we have very hot summers, but um, ice uh, ice activities were very big ones, and as was curling on the local dam. Unfortunately, with climate change, the last bond spill when people from all over the country get together to uh, curl on the local dam, the ice has never been thick enough to allow us to have another one. The last one was 2012. What, what was the, what's the local dam? Uh, the the Idaburn. That's right, Idaburn. Because there's Manaburn. Uh, it's that artificial, yes. the Manaburn Dam. Yes. Uh, but Idaburn's yep. the natural one. Yeah. Uh, so, not entirely. It's part of the irrigation uh, uh, Okay, okay. But that was the main go-to, and now uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those. It's one of those events being lost. What's some of the other memorabilia in here that uh, really is history, not just to be preserved, uh, you know, in a museum in Dunedin or somewhere, but but it's part of an active store and part of what people can come visit when they're in the area doing the rail trail 
What else is in there that's special? Um, I think the implements of, of the trade, uh, like the big, huge gold embossed tools that, that are still used, uh, the famous bacon slicer. Um, we have the old telephone exchange in there. There's all the scoops and different things that um, we used to access the big bags of goods and ladle them out. There's a whole row of these beautiful old copper dry good bins with their names on them and you would you pull them out and you would have your flour and your sugar and your raisins and all of those sorts of things. There's all the containers for spices. Uh, we have tobacco products going back to whenever. Uh, there's products that people have, t- boxes and containers of products that people probably no longer remember unless they're of a certain age. And that's people, when they come in and see some of those things, older people are always very taken aback. It brings on lots of memories. The social history is incredible as well. Two world wars, the Depression, as you mentioned. Here we are back in the influenza epidemic. And also just the, you know, there's the population size stresses and then there's just the family stresses, a son killed out, out rabbit shooting, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and combined with all the, the, the imagery, um, it really is a, a quite amazing social history. Are you are you happy with where things got to after all that labour, Paula? Yes, I think so. I mean, that's what we one of the main things that we wanted to achieve. We didn't want to just have a straight chronological narration of events and just biographical details. We wanted to try and give a sense of how a store of general store of yesteryear looked like, smelt like, tasted like, uh, how it operated. You know, everything from how, pe- well, as I said before, how people wrapped up parcels and what shop assistants were paid and how they did the stock take. And so I've, I've got a real passion personally for social history. I'm really interested in how people did things in the past, you know, how they, um, how they, um, Mm, sorry, losing the track. No, no, of no. You, you're, you're doing well. You're doing so well, Paula. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I wonder how your road celebrates another book being published. Is there a hoedown somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Well, the launch. Uh, we had 300 people at the launch, so I think that says something about it. And the tables were groaning with afternoon tea, which is a specialty in our in rural areas. It's a pretty special road you live on uh, and pretty special community, obviously, to still be maintaining this store after all these years. Thank you very much. Paula Wagemaker. And the book is Thomas Gilchrist and Sons of the Mania Totos. We said it's much more than that. It's about a community over many generations.